0: Shalom and welcome to Tune In, the podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and I'm here today with Scott Davis, who, after a thirty-year career in public television, has now devoted himself to the translation and publication of a largely forgotten Yiddish writer named Yankov or Jacob Dennison. The Fruit of Scott's Labor Memories and Scenes Shtetl Childhood Writers has just appeared. The book is translated by Tina Lunson and edited with an introduction by Scott Hilton Davis. Scott, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Aaron. It's so good to be with you.
0: So it's not every day that, uh, you know, important but, but generally unknown Yiddish writer is uh, reintroduced or introduced to English readers. So who was Yankov Didison and, and why did you work so long and hard to share his work with a, uh, a wider public?
1: Well, I actually discovered Ditteson quite by accident while doing research on Sholem Aleichem and IO Peretz for a book that I was working on. And uh, Denison's name just kept popping up here and there. And as I looked closer, I discovered that he was a fairly major um, figure in the development of Yiddish as a literary language there in the late uh, 1800s and early 1900s. And uh, just intrigued by his connection with the classic uh, Yiddish writers, Mendela and uh, Shalom Aleichem and Parrots, I started to look for stories by Dinazan and just couldn't find any, hmm. uh,
0: be, because none so, of couldn't, work, find, couldn't find them in English translation, that I, is In same.
1: English translations, exactly. Right, right. Because none of his work had been translated into English uh, all the way up into the 21st century.
0: So, so am I correct in assuming you don't speak Yiddish yourself?
1: No, I don't speak Yiddish and I don't read Yiddish. Although early in my life, I did have an opportunity to do that uh, by attending a Kinderschul and Mittelschule in the Los Angeles area,
0: huh, huh.
1: but never really was able to pick up the language.
0: So how did you figure out that Denison's work was good enough to warrant translation?
1: Well, part of it really was just in doing the research, finding um, literary criticism and finding uh, commentaries about Jacob Denizan, and realizing that, um, that no matter what his writing style was like, his work was so important in that period between 1877, when he published his first novel, uh, Der Schwarzer right. the Dark Young Man, uh, which was a runaway bestseller, uh, oh. which was a book that actually... Um, uh, did better in sales than uh than Mendele Mocher book of that time.
0: Wow, wow. And
1: and um and so as I you know, as I read more and more about him and realized how important he was, I um I felt that it was important to know what his work was like. Um and I think in a way not being able to read Yiddish, not being able to sit down and read the book and say, Well, is there gonna be an audience for that it was my curiosity to know what his writings were about um, that uh, I think motivated me to have his work translated into English.
0: So let's pick up on that. And, and how did you go about finding a translator? That's not an easy thing to do.
1: No. Well, actually, it was interesting. I, I had a friend who discovered that Denison had written a book called The Kroynosun Bilder, Stettel Kinderjorn Schreiber's and uh and i assumed that that book was a autobiography it was an autobiography of, of Dinazan's life and so i contacted the yiddish book center at the time and said do you have a copy of this book now this was just as you were starting to digitize books so uh, uh. so people were still going to the to the yiddish book center by telephone my goodness not even by email <laughs> And, um, and acquiring books. And at the time, uh, Aaron Rubenstein, w- uh, Rubenstein, Rubenstein, Rubenstein...
0: Rubenstein, now the Ruben- uh, head archivist at the University of Massachusetts.
1: Well, he was so helpful. He was the collection manager at the time, and he was so helpful. And along with a copy of the book, actually a hardback copy of the Yiddish book, Zechroinus uh, uh, and there came along a photocopy of an article about Dinizan, also in yiddish that came from a, a yiddish uh, uh, literary dictionary huh. and so i the first thing i did was have that translated and that of course um you know verified what an important a uh, writer he was and what an important figure he was because right. he was very very closely associated with all the major Yiddish writers of his day. I mean, when you read off the list of people that he was connected with at that time in Russia and Eastern Europe, it's really a who's who of modern Yiddish literature.
0: Yeah, well, we'll talk in a little while about his friendship with Yudlamit Peretz, of course, for which he's certainly very well known. But let's go back to the translator first. So how did you find someone to do it?
1: So I went back to the Yiddish Book Center, and sure enough, you folks had a list of translators. And you know, I have to tell you, Aaron, I mean, it's, if you had not done the work to rescue and preserve these old Yiddish books and then to set up an infrastructure where people could obtain them, now they can be obtained online, which is just astonishing, and then to provide names of people that can help in, uh, in you know, finding out what these books are about, translating them, um you know we wouldn't be having this conversation and so i found a, a wonderful list and uh, on that list um was uh, a a woman named uh, Ruth uh, Goodman Ruth Fisher Goodman who i who i hired to um to uh do the um biographical uh information right. and then i hired uh, found and hired uh, Tina Lunson. Uh, to do the um, build there. So,
0: what is Tina's background?
1: Well, Tina um, uh, was the uh, administrative director of the um, Vilnius um, um, project in uh, in Lithuania. I'm, I'm blanking on the actual name of the org- of the organization, but she was very involved with that. She's done work with the um, uh, Holocaust Museum in translating materials that then went into exhibitions. This is the a, museum oh, in D.C.? Yes, that's correct. Right. And uh, has uh, has also um, done uh, the Yisker books and uh, is just has a, a deep interest in Yiddish.
0: Fantastic. Well, that, that's great, and I'm very happy that you were able to uh, make that shidduch through our, uh, our help. So, so You know, I I walk through the stacks here all the time. You can't get from one end of this building to the other without walking through the stacks. And I seem to remember, we have a lot of books by Denison here. Do you know offhand what his collected works consists of? How many volumes?
1: I think his collected works, uh, which were published in in, in 1928-29, amount to 11 volumes.
0: Right, so that's posthumously, obviously. And, And out of all those writings, how did you select what was going to go into your volume?
1: Well, the, the, the first book that uh, we had translated, The uh, Builder, as I said, I thought was going to be a, a, an autobiography. It turned out that it was not. It turned out it was a collection of autobiographical short stories. So my initial reaction was that I, I was a little um, taken aback by that, a little disappointed, and st- until I started actually reading the stories and realized how how similar they were to some of the stories that Sholm Aleichem had written and some of the stories that A.L. Peretz had written. And so, um, you know, I realized, wow, you know, he was writing the same kind of thing uh, that was going on at that time, and it, that, I felt, was really important. But then I felt that the next book that needed to be done was his his uh, 1877 novel, Der Schwarzer Jüngermannschick. And that was a much bigger project. Tina Lundson also did it. It's still kind of waiting in the wings to be published um, because it's a, it's a much more, um, I, I would say, a difficult uh, uh, translation project. So we're, right. we've been working on that, and Tina continues to work on that, and that will probably be our third or fourth book that we actually published.
0: All right, so that's on the ot-ot shelf, the, the pe- pending uh, selections. Exactly. So, so, you know, I've always known Denison as the great friend of, of Yud-Lamit Peretz, you know, Peretz being, you know, one of the towering writers of, of modern Jewish and Yiddish literature. What can you tell us about the relationship between the two of them?
1: Well, they were actually very, very close friends and i think of dinazon and 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 parrots it's sort of like the um the rooster and the hen <laughs> parrots was the rooster he was always crowing it was all about him it was all about attention to parrots and Dinazan was the hen he was there he was supportive I sometimes think of Denizan kind of as a producer, although we can't forget that he was really a very successful novelist and writer in his own right. But he had this way of mentoring and helping people, and, um, and I don't think he, was, he craved the limelight in the same way that, uh, that Peretz did, certainly that Sholem Aleichem did. And so, um, I, you know, I think unfairly he hasn't received the attention that he, he deserves, because when you look at Peretz's career after they met, which was in the late 1880s, s, actually published Peretz's first book of Yiddish stories out of hmm. his own pocket, and he it, and he he um, he actually was trying to create kind of a a penny press, a, a Russian press, where where he would start to publish uh, more and more stories uh, by, by Yiddish writers, um, what ultimately happened was that Parrots and, and Denizan uh, formed a partnership where they actually did publish several uh, magazines, several journals, or at least a major literary journal for a while. And so what seems to have happened over time is that people always say, Peretz, parrots did this, parrots did that. And yet Dinizan was right next to him doing it. And, um, you know, even to the point where they founded a, an orphanage in Warsaw during World War I uh, to help uh, with the displaced uh, children coming into Warsaw from the uh, the German-Russian war zone, Dinizan was very involved with that in raising money for it and, and with supporting that. Uh, yet, when you read most of the material about it, they always say, "Parrots helped found this uh, this orphanage." So that's that. I think was for whatever reason, um, he just never received the attention that Parrots received.
0: Sounds like the makings of a major motion picture to me.
1: <laughs> well, if we could just interest the right people. I right, so I'm you know going to
0: I'm going to ask you to do a favor. I, I know you had mentioned to me that there's at least one fictional account here which you think is based upon Denison's relationship with with Peretz. Could could I ask you to read a little bit from that?
1: Oh, yes. This is this is a wonderful story. It's called Yossel al-Gabrenik and his student, and it is dedicated to Parrots. And um so, so Yosel uh, Al Gabrenik. Yosel is a is a malamid, a teacher who is um, uh, who has gotten very interested in mathematics. Which, of course, you know, people just you know they thought that was uh, uh, that he was a heretic, that he was engaged in this kind of of uh, inquiry, and um, and so here's a little description of Yosel. Okay. It was his nature to listen calmly and to be silent. It was hard to get a word out of him, but when he did speak, pearls literally poured from his mouth, assembled and strung out on a thread. He generally spoke in terms of algebra. One must learn algebra. One must think and live in algebra. Only algebra and algebraic logic teaches the human mind to think properly and to properly understand a thing. Without algebra, he insisted, a person could be acquainted with everything but know nothing. But people ridiculed him. He wants to bring Mashiach through algebra. It's a kind of sickness. And that is why they called him Algebrenic, the algebra man. Whether this was a curse put on him by some Rebbe, or whether it was a kind of madness, may heaven preserve us, no one knew. But people said that it simply had to be one or the other. Isn't that a great description?
0: I love it, and it's also a very felicitous translation. Well done. I I think it's terrific.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: So... I'm sure you've heard this story. It it may be apocryphal. I have to just give the disclaimer. But there's a story that Shalom Aleichem and and Mark Twain once met. And Shalom Aleichem famously referred to himself as the Jewish Mark Twain, to which Mark Twain replied, Oh, no, I tend to think of myself as the American Shalom Aleichem. Uh, We're not quite sure if that really happened, but if it didn't, it should have. But do you think the description of... uh, a Jewish Mark Twain would that fit Denison? Is that his style? Is his style closer to Peretz's, or is he a voice all of his own?
1: I think he's a voice uh, on his own. I, I think the thing about Denison was, I think in many ways he was rather old-fashioned, and I don't think he ever he ever came out of that, uh, uh, you know, sort of writing out of that mm. uh, very strong values, almost the teacher in some ways like Mendela who. Who always carried that teacher in him in all of his writing,
0: right? And of course, they're more contemporaneous, of course.
1: Yes, yes, right. that's that's true, and um, and you know, and we, as you're right, you're right. We think of Sholem Aleichem as the humorist, although some of his stories are very dark, and uh, we think of Peretz as the modernist. I mean, I, actually, when I first uh, became interested in in uh, Yiddish literature in in English translation as a teenager it it was Peretz's, it was the, the Peretz's stories were the ones that really stuck with me you know bunch of Schweig and if not still higher and right, the Lindbach right. in in and if not still higher so but the thing about Dinizon was that I think he really spoke from the heart he 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 didn't he he wasn't the 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 writer who wrote from the head. He wrote from the heart. And in fact, huh. his very first book is considered the first sentimental novel in Yiddish. That's The Dark Young Man. So I think that that's what comes through in his stories and comes through in his novels. Although, I mean, he was a muckraker in his time. And, and all of his early novels um, really took on the major issues that were facing Jews as they were you know, trying to deal with the, the questions of modernity moving into the, into the 20th century.
0: Right. Of course, you know, many writers are, are bound by their time. You know, sometimes what seems funny or moving 100 years ago, you know, may not strike us that way uh, now. So why were you so confident that, you know, 21st century readers would be able to relate to someone who was, you know, when all was said and done, essentially a 19th century writer?
1: Well, there's Charles Dickens as an example, <laughs> uh, touche, touche. a 19th century writer who people still read today with a great deal of interest. You know, I think that the thing about Dinazan's works is that they're historical, and they have real literary significance for anybody that's interested in the development of modern Yiddish literature. To leave them out, it, to me, it just seems, uh, you know, just so unreasonable. You know, to say that we have only three um, classic Yiddish writers, and then, you know, here we are, the 21st century, and no one knows Peretz, no one knows Mendel. In fact, the last two books that have been published have been about Sholom Aleichem. Right? Wonderful biography uh, by Jeremy Dauber. But why Sholom Aleichem? Because the way you explain Sholom Aleichem is you say he's the original writer of the Tevye stories, which were turned into what Broadway musical? <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof. And then all of a sudden the whole audience nods if they don't already break into if I were a rich man. So for me, you know, it became an issue of trying to place another significant Yiddish writer into a form that... Um, contemporary readers uh, and 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 people even uh, you know in the university could take out and say you know what else was being written who 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 else was writing and what were they writing about and that became the most important f- thing for me and you know something Aaron, i, I want to share this with you because it was sort of a surprise to me a while back i found in an obituary you know the internet allows you to do all of these searches and i have one of those searches that has Jacob Denizen in it, and and in it, and it shows up every now and then. And there was an obituary for somebody in New Jersey, and it said he belonged to the Jacob Denison Lodge, huh. the Jacob, Jacob Denison Lodge. Well, just recently, I was able to find online that there was a uh, it, it, that there actually was a Jacob Denizen Lodge in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, huh. founded in 1919. That was the year that Dinazon died, and that they founded this lodge in honor of Jacob Dinazon. And, I, and, and it's a be, there's a beautiful picture of these gentlemen in their tuxedos all sitting there, you know, posing for this photograph for the Dinazon Lodge. And I'm saying, this is just another validation of how important he was in his day and how neglected he's been over time. Um, you know, for lots of reasons, of
0: course. Well, you've done an enormous job in helping to rectify that. I want, I want to just ask a more personal question. I, I remember the first time we met. I think it was down in, in Durham, North Carolina. Is that right?
1: Yes, that was. Yeah, it
0: must have been close to 10 years ago. I think I was there on a book tour, and I, you were with your sister, Robin Evans, at the time. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, I remember the two of you were really excited about this project and were talking and talking and talking about it. And I have to confess to a... Uh, at least a small measure of skepticism, because I thought, oh my God, they're never going to have the perseverance to pull this off and stick with it. You know, there's an expression in Hebrew, they say you have to be mishugala davar, you have to be, uh, you know, incredibly single-minded to get something done. So how did the two of you do it? And also, how and why did you get your sister to join you, or was it the other way around?
1: No, my sister has been one of those wonderful, wonderful sisters who you know, always participated in my Meshuganah projects. I mean, even when I was a kid and I was interested in magic tricks, right, I would run into her bedroom with a deck of cards and say, Robin, pick a card, any card. And she always participated. And so when I told her I had had discovered this forgotten Jewish writer, she got very enthusiastic about it, you know. We both went to the Kinder Shul and the Mittelschule in Los Angeles. We both have this deep, deep interest in Yiddish culture and Yiddish uh, music and literature and drama, and uh, and you know the, that 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 Russian Eastern European Yiddishkeit that came out of that time. My parents were steeped in that. My you know Bobby and Zadie were steeped in that, and my sister and I both really carry that uh, to this day and so she in the early days was so encouraging and honestly I think it was part and she still is you know I mean I I talk with her all the time to seek her advice uh, to get her input um, to see if I'm on the right track with this project so it's been a, a really wonderful shared experience and and we see this as you know a way really to um to acknowledge, you know, our our, our parents, uh, you know, rest in peace of, of, of what they gave us as they, uh, a, a, you know, as we were growing up as children. So, I think that's part of it. That's part of why, you know, we continued to work on this over the years. You know, it took ten years because, you know, I was very involved in my work career, and so this was done in the evenings on the weekends and. Um, you know, it wasn't really until um, I was able to retire from public television um, that I could devote the time and energy to, to really bring these books, uh, um, to, you know, into the marketplace.
0: Well, I'm so glad you did. I'm going to ask one last question about Denison. So, so Shalom Aleichem, you know, uh, famously described his predecessor, Mendel Amoich I remember he called him the Zeder, or the grandfather of Yiddish literature. Peretz is often called the father of Yiddish literature, but you characterize Denison as the uncle of modern Yiddish literature. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, it, that this is this is maybe chutzpahdik, you know, <laughs> maybe just a little bit too bold. Um, but as I've been doing this research, I, they talk about Jacob Dinison as being this kind, loving, gentle man who mentored everyone, you know, who gave of himself to everyone. And when you look at this um when you know, when you look at his contributions you see that he was very, very present. And if we already have a Zeda and a and a Tata and a and a grandson, then, you know, what would Jacob Dinazan's role be? And that to me would be the um w- you know, would be the uncle and uh, and I found, and it's in the introduction to the book, this wonderful letter that uh, Sholom Aleichem wrote to Jacob Dinazan. You know, Dinazon helped Sholem Aleichem buy back all of the copyrights that he had turned over to the publishers when he submitted his stories. So Dinazon formed a committee, and and they purchased back all of Sholom Aleichem's copyright, so he could then use his stories into the future to make a living. Because, as you know, he he spent much of his life in great poverty. Right. And so, um, so, so Shalom Aleichem um, uh, wrote this wonderful letter to Dinazan to thank him for it. And um, you know, if we have a moment, I'd love to read this. This letter, it's very short.
0: Okay, last one, though. Let's have it. Sounds great. All right,
1: So, so here's Shalom Aleichem, and he's writing to Dinazan. He says, there is somewhere in the city of Warsaw a tiny, spare, graying little man with tiny but spotlessly clean little hands, with a little graying beard. It once was reddish, and with kindly eyes forever smiling, even when moist with tears. He smokes little cigarettes rolled with his own little fingers. He drinks his own tea made in his own little teapot. And he always sits on the same chair at the table where he keeps hidden in a most unusually well-organized fashion other people's secrets, other people's troubles, and other people's anguish, which he holds so close to his uncommonly big heart. And this good uncle is called Uncle Denison.
0: I love it. Perfect, perfect. I couldn't have said it better, and that's just, just absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So last question of the day. For those listeners who are just chomping at the bit now, who can't wait to read Yankov Denison in English, where can they find your book?
1: I think the best place to go right away would be Amazon.com. Look up Memories and Scenes, colon, Stettel, childhood writers, and that will take them right to a place to to obtain the book. However, they can also order it from their local bookstore if they would prefer to do that, and it's also on lots of other online bookstores as well. So it's very available if people wish to go and search
0: for it. Perfect. And again, the name of the author, Jacob Denison, D-I-N-E-Z-O-N. Well, thank you, and Yasha Koyach, Scott Davis, the editor, moving force behind memories and scenes, the remarkable new translation of works by Yankov Jacob Denison. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, tune in to our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer was Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Aaron Lansky. Zaymish and gesund. Be well. Be healthy. And tune in again soon.